Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, and why was Young the only one who translated Negdo correctly? He died young. All right. So, all right. So God has a role for wives. It's to be k-negdo. K-negdo. Like like against him. It was like God was saying in Genesis 2.18, why should I be the helper that always gets blamed for being against me? <laughs> I'll make him a woman helper, and then, and then she can get the blame for being against him. Yeah? <laughs> so anyway, that's a wise man who honors and appreciates his wife and thanks God for when she is against him because he realizes that God made her to be azer kenegdo, a helper like against him. That's why, man, that's why man should only have one wife, because one helper is enough to be against him. <laughs> but you know, the common complaint of husbands is that my wife is so negative. She's so negative. So that's good, because then you just remember how the word neged sounds like negative, see? And so neged, like negative, remember the little translation, azer kenegdo, a helper like against, against him. Now, where are we? Well, I digressed a little bit. Okay. All right. So we're thanking God for Leah, and our hearts have gone out to Leah with the name of her last son, Zebulun, which means dwelling, because poor Leah, she yearned her heart for her husband just to live with her, just to dwell with her. And we've been following the life of Leah, and we followed her through her trials, we followed her through her yearnings of her heart, and at first, in chapter 29, we saw Leah just struggling with the fact that her husband hated her. And by the time we finished that chapter 29, we saw how Leah was able to rise up over her problem and reach that mountaintop experience for Leah in Genesis 29:35, when she said, now will I praise the Lord. Then we open chapter 30 and with Leah's problem, another the problem here, her sister. Her sister came into view in the first verse where it said, Rachel envied her sister. That'd be Leah. And we watched as Leah fought with her sister, and in Leah's anger, she resorted to giving her handmaid to Jacob to have children, and that was a tremendous fall for Leah, and we saw how much that bothered Leah, and she tried to justify it with that strange thing she said, but she lamented in verse 18, chapter 30, verse 18, when she said, I have given my maiden to my husband, but Leah learned she never gave her husband, gave a handmaid to her husband again. That was another low point in Leah's life 
But in verse 20 are the last words that Leah will speak alone. And after this, Leah is going to just sort of exit off the stage of biblical lessons for us. But thankfully, what we see in verse 20 is Leah, again, recovered from her falls, and now she's returned to praising the Lord in verse 20. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. She still had a broken heart for Jacob, still named him Zebulun, still wants to dwell with her. But through her broken heart, Leah now finds her place back to praising the Lord because Leah saw God gave her a a good dowry in those children. It's wonderful that this is the last picture that we see in the Bible of Leah. God wants us to see this. God wants us to have, this is the last memory of Leah. I want you to see Leah praising the Lord. I don't want you to see, think about Leah giving her handmaid to her husband. I want you to see her praising the Lord. That's important for us. That's important for us because the Bible leaves Leah in a good light. That shows us how much God is for us. It says, it says in Romans 8, 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's a very important question. If God be for us, who can be against us? Very important question that's raised there in Romans that we should consider. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, throughout our days, we have problems. We have the problems of enemies. We have the problems of fears. We have the problems of sins that we're battling with. And all this is going on inside of us. And each one of those problems have their own particular voice. So it's like a cacophony of, uh, of voices inside of us. Like David talked about in uh, Psalm 36, 1, when he said, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. See, David saw the transgression of the wicked and how they just seemed to be getting away with it, like in Psalm 73. And there was a voice inside David that was saying, Look, there's no fear before their eyes course, the implication is, so why should there be fear before your eyes? They're getting away with it. We need to counter all those voices inside of us, and we should make little signs and put them all around us during the day, in the bathroom, in the the car, and the sign should read, if God be for us, blank, where we fill in the blank. And when we're critical and angry at another believer, we should fill in the blank. If God be for us, why, if I, God be for him, why am I against him? And when we're afraid of what our future is going to be, we should fill it back. If, blank. If God be for us, why am I worried that God's not going to take care of me? And when we have an enemy that fill in the blank, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Yeah. God was for Leah. The Lord Jesus Christ was for his disciples. When he said to them in Luke twenty two twenty eight, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And when he said that to them, You are they which continue with my temptations, his disciples could have looked at each other and said, Who, me? Who, us? I mean, we've continued with him as temptations. We've continued with him as temptations. I think we fell asleep in the garden of his temptation. I think most of us didn't even go to the garden of his temptation. The one who did fell asleep. I don't think we continue with him in his big temptations. But what we see the Lord saying, you've continued with me in my temptations, is how much he was for them and how he cast them in the best light. That's what we see here with Leah. Now we see at the end of, here, at the end of her life, God is casting her in the best, best light with a broken heart, okay, but risen above to praise the Lord for the good dowry that God gave her. That's encouraging to us to see God casting her in the best light and to realize God was for Leah, so God is for me. 
God wanted to cast Leah in the best light, so God wants to cast us in the best light. Now we come to verse 22, where we now we spotlights now on Rachel. Okay, by contrast, we could say, and God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Again, as we read God remembered Rachel, it was not God saying, oh yeah, I forgot about Rachel. Rachel, you know, Rachel. I've been so busy with Leah's problems, I forgot all about I left Rachel hanging. I'm sorry, Rachel. You know, you know, what's the matter with you angels? Why don't you remind me about Rachel, you know? Now look, she's had to wait for such a long time, you know. Where am I reminding angels? You know? <laughs> when it says that God remembered Rachel, it's not implying God forgot about Rachel. It's a term that's used in the Bible. It just shows that how God takes care of people in their dire need, like we saw with, uh, with Noah in Genesis 8.1. God remembered Noah. And Moses used that term several times to emphasize God's faithfulness when he said in Numbers 10.9, for example, and if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall go blow an alarm with the trumpets and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you should be saved from your enemies. See, when it says God remembered, it really means God did not forget. And it always is used in the context of God showing mercy, particular mercy. You know, David said in Psalm 98.3, he hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. But there was a long time admittedly, right, there was a long time for Rachel when she was infertile, when she was barren. And it wasn't because God forgot about her. It was because God was using that time of barrenness and infertility to teach Rachel what the greatest needs that she had to be taught, the greatest needs. Rachel needed patience. Rachel's problem was, I need it, and I need it now. <laughs> That's how she opens this chapter with her wonderful phrase, give me children or else I die. So God wanted to teach her patience in her time of infertility. And then Rachel's other great need was for Rachel to depend on God. You know, again, when she says, you know, Rachel said unto Jacob, give me children or else I died, Rachel did not say unto the Lord, give me children or else I die. Rachel said to Jacob, Give me children. And it was plain to Jacob that, Rachel, you shouldn't be saying that to me. You should be saying that to God when his reply in verse 2 was, and Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in God's stead? What are you talking to me for? Who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? See, that was Rachel's need to depend on God. And it looks like Rachel did take Jacob's advice and went to prayer because in this verse 22 it says, God hearkened to her. So if God hearkened to her, that means that Rachel was finally praying to him. So it's wonderful to see Rachel praying. This is a good light for Rachel, one of the few. And it's wonderful to see her praying to God. What an encouragement it is to us in verse 22 to read that Rachel was praying. It's a big step when a person prays. It's a big step when a person begins to pray with other people. It's a big step when person in prayer praises and worships God in their prayers. And when they begin, it's a big step when they begin to pray for others. You know, it's a big step when people take on the joy priority of prayer. J, joy, J and joy stands for Jesus first in the praise and worship. O and joy stands for others. Second, Y and joy stands for you. These are all big steps to see Rachel praying here in verse 22, 
First time we've seen Rachel praying. Does our heart good to just kind of look at this and say, boy, that's the Rachel we like to see. Now, since God made Rachel wait for such a long time before she started to have children, Rachel probably thought that God was not going to answer her prayer or that the answer was no. But we can see that God did answer Rachel's prayer in verse 22. It just took longer than Rachel wanted. So Rachel thought that God was not going to answer her prayer, but God was going to answer Rachel's prayer, just not at right at the time when she wanted, just later. And that's hard for Rachel to take that. So she had this outburst in verse 1, give me children or else I die. And when Rachel said that, Rachel didn't have children. Instead, Rachel said, well, who needs God to have children when you have a fertile handmaid? So when Rachel should have waited, she should have been patient, Rachel jumps the gun and grabs her handmaid and gives her to Jacob so they, she can get the children. And that shows us the hardest thing that we have to do when we pray is wait. You know, David said in Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That verse is so instructive for us because David's repeating himself. And whether David is speaking to someone else or if he's speaking to himself, you can see the impatience at work as he starts out the verse by saying, wait on the Lord, and then impatience gets going, and David repeats, wait on the Lord, and he doesn't just say the second time, wait on the Lord, he says, wait, I say, on the Lord. Special insistence, a sternness, because he can see how impatience is about to take the situation out of control. So when you read in verse 22, you can't help but wonder when it says God opened her womb, and in verse 23, and she conceived and bare a son, if at that moment Rachel might have said, oh, I thought I was infertile. I thought I'd never have children. Let's see now. What did I do because I thought I was infertile? Oh, yeah, I gave my handmaid to Jacob. Mm, I didn't have to give my handmaid to my husband. Boy, if only I would have waited. I I would not have introduced this handmaid problem into the marriage into the equation here, into the family equation. Now, as we imagine Rachel thinking those thoughts, it's a warning to us. Wait on the Lord. Like the hymn says, take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide. Run not before him, whatever be tied. In joy or in sorrow, still follow thy Lord. Looking to Jesus, still Trust in his word, run not before him. Unfortunately, that's what Rachel did. She ran before God and didn't give God a chance to guide her. And we always make a huge error in life when we say, well, I have to because of this or that situation that's pressuring me. See, that was what, re- that was what caused King Saul to lose the kingdom. As it says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, It says, he tarried several days, seven days, that'd be Samuel, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed there to Saul. But Samuel came not to Gilgal until the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither the burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered, that'd be Saul, the burnt offerings. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? 
And Saul said, well, because I saw the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed, the Philistines were gathered themselves together at Michmash. See, these are pressing situations. The army is dissipating and the enemy is gathering. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, he says, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. See, Saul had no business doing the work of the priest and offering the sacrifice. Samuel told him that he'd come down there to make the offering, and God purposefully had Samuel delay his coming to test King Saul. But King Saul failed the test because he saw the Philistines were advancing and his own army was deserting. And so he said, he forced himself. And King Saul did not wait on God. He went before God. And and so therefore, God said he's going to replace King Saul with a man after his own heart. So because King Saul did not patiently wait for God, King Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Now we read in verse 23. Verse 23, Genesis 30, verse 23. Okay, she says there, she conceived, bear a son. She conceived and bear a son. It appears that both Joseph and Dinah were born in the same year. But with the birth of this son, Rachel now makes two important statements. What's the first statement that Rachel made about what it meant for her to have this son? What'd she say? Yes, God hath taken away my reproach. First statement. Second statement about what it meant for her to have this son is what? She'll add to me another son. The Lord shall add to me another son. Verse 24. So the first meaning that Rachel saw in having this son was a taking away of her reproach. The second meaning that Rachel saw in having this son was an adding of another son. See, Rachel saw that the birth of this son was both a taking away and an adding. Now, if Rachel was teaching mathematics class here, we're talking about addition and subtraction, right? Now, in Hebrew, the words for take away and add, or addition and subtraction, they're very similar. They sound very, very similar. This is the word she used. Taking away is the word asaf. Asaf means take away. And add is the word yasaf. So asaf is take away, and add is yasaf. So what she did here is she combined these two words and invented a new word, (laughs) okay? And the new word is a combination of the two, and it comes out yosef. So Rachel used to play on words, on the similarity between two words, Asaf and Yasaf, or to take away and add, to invent a new word, which she now gives the meaning of both take away and add, because she saw both in her son, a taking away of her reproach of infertility and an adding of another son to come. Now, you may see a lot of problems with Rachel, and you may be tempted to say a lot of things against Rachel, but one thing you cannot say about Rachel is that she's not smart. She's very smart. 
And the way Rachel combined these two words shows that Rachel is quick on her feet. She's sharp. She's very smart. So this is the name that Rachel gave to her first son, Joseph, which is both a statement of a present taking away of Rachel's reproach and a promise of a future son to come. Now, let's just think about this a little bit. Let's just think a little bit about what this tells us about Rachel. And so do this. There's Clint. He's back there. See, it's Clint. And when Clint and Lori had Cassidy, and when Cassidy was just a few months old, I remember after service, Clint was sitting over there, and he was holding Cassidy up in the air. He was holding her up in the air like that, see, over his head. And he was looking into Cassidy's face, and Clint was smiling at her. And I'll never forget the look on Clint's face. He had such a, a look of joy on his face. It was amazing for me to see him hold little Cassidy up so that his face was right over his face. I mean, I sat there and I wondered, isn't he afraid that she's going to vomit on his face? <laughs> that was going through my mind, you know. That wasn't going through his mind. Clint showed no concern that little Cassidy was going to vomit on his face. And he didn't care even because Clint loved Cassidy. Clint was just happy to have Cassidy, you know, vomit it all. And it was that look on Clint's face that said to Cassidy, said, you know, he's holding up there, he says, he's saying to Cassidy, I love you. I'm so happy to have you. I don't care if you vomit on my face. I love you and I love having you. And I thought to myself, you know, there's Clint, 55 years old or something like that. And at his age, that look on his face as he held Cassidy over him was not... You know, it wasn't a look like, Cassidy, I'm 55 years old. I'm trying to feed a wife and eight kids already. <laughs> you make the ninth one, the ninth kid. You add to the weight of my responsibility. I'm an old man. I'm not happy to see you. Not at all. Clint's face said it all, that even at 55, Clint was happy to have Cassidy because Clint loved Cassidy for no other reason than because Cassidy was Cassidy and Clint loved Cassidy. That was a very strong message that Cassidy got from Clint of love to have Cassidy for no other reason than because Cassidy was Cassie and Clint loved to have Cassidy as his kid. And what a message that was for Clint's other kids. When, when Clint's other kids saw that, it was such a strong message to Clint's other kids that Clint loves to have all of his kids for no other reason than because they are individuals that Clint loves to have as his kids. That was Clint's message to Cassidy, that he loved to have her as his kid for no other reason because of who she was, and that was Clint's message to all his kids. He loved to have all his kids for no other reason because of who they all were. Now, let me ask you, is that the same message that Rachel sent to Joseph, you think? Can you really see Rachel holding Joseph up over her face and smiling at him and not worried that the little kid might vomit in her face? Was Rachel saying, you know, I've wanted a baby and I'm so happy to have a baby because I love children. I love to watch them. I love to care for them. I love to hear them. I love to feed them. I love to help them grow and teach them. Was that what she was saying? <laughs> when Rachel named Joseph, did Rachel send the same message to Joseph that Clint sent to Cassidy? With the meaning of Joseph that Rachel did, did she send the same message to her other kids through her handmaid that Clint sent to his other kids when he held Cassidy up and, and looked at her face? When Rachel named Joseph, did Rachel send the message to Joseph, I love you, 
I love to have you as my kid for no other reason because of who you are. No, no. Well, if Rachel did not send that message to Joseph, you know, the message of I love you and and I love to have you as my kid for no other reason than because of who you are, what message did Rachel send to Joseph when she named him? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Bible teacher and Jewish born-again Christian Tom Cantor from Friendship with God wants to invite you to celebrate Purim, which is the celebration of Esther's victory over Haman. This is an interactive celebration, remembrance, and feast at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee on Good Friday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. The Creation and Earth History Museum is conveniently located on Woodside Avenue North off the 67 next to the Santee Drive-In. So join Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries as we celebrate Esther's victory over death with Purim and celebrate the Good Friday passion of our Lord Jesus Christ in defeating death over Satan. Admission is free, but seating is limited at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee on Good Friday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. Call us for more information at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.